That's all Coach Beck, is him commanding the room, setting precedent with the people before us. When we watched film or we're, we were out there, we knew that the game would go the way that we felt. We played really well up front. There was a good chance that our whole team did well. If we struggled up front, it was going to be hard for everybody behind us. Creating that perception of, hey, these guys in this room are what drive this defense. And if you don't believe that, then there's the door. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in to Catching Up with the Cats. I'm Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Podcast is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for making all of our podcasting dreams come true. I'm Coulter Nuanez. This is my 11th season covering Montana State football. So this inaugural season of Catching Up with the Cats features guys that I got to know during my time at the Bozeman Chronicle, Bobcat Beat, and now Skyline Sports. Today's episode features Zach Minter, a defensive tackle for the Bobcats from 2009 until 2012, a two-time All-Big Sky selection, a two-time All-American, and a guy that went on to play professional football, making stops with the Chicago Bears, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Dallas Cowboys before going up to Canada, playing for the BC Lions, the Calgary Stampeders, and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Got to know Minter on a personal level because when I was at the Chronicle during the Bobcat Prowl, Minter used to pick up an elementary school age boy named Zach Dean. One of our photographers got a great photo of it, so I decided to write a feature. That led me to becoming great friends with Zach Dean's parents, Andrea and Bob, and uh, following Zach growing up all the time now. He's in high school, so pretty cool. And I know Big Zach, Zach Minter, and Little Zach, Zach Dean, stayed in contact for quite some time as well. So that's what college sports is all about. Pretty cool. Minter. One of the most fun-loving, gregarious, and entertaining players uh, covered at Montana State. A great storyteller and a great guy all the way around. Without further ado, catching up with the Cats with Zach Minter. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. Well, happy now to welcome in for our latest episode of Catching Up with the Cats, a guy I loved covering during my time when I first got back to Montana, 2011-2012, Zach Minter, two-time All-American defensive tackle for the Bobcats and a fan favorite during his time at MSU. Zach, what's going on, my man? How you living? Hi, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me on the on the podcast. First and foremost, let's start with the here and now before we get into some of the old memories. Give people an update. What's Zach Minter been up to since you graduated from Montana State? I know your football journey and your life journey has taken you to a lot of different places. Yeah, it, it really has. Um, I mean, even starting in Bozeman, Montana, I never would have thought I would have played football there. But 
you know, since then had a chance to move around. I, I played in the, in the States for a little bit. I even played in Canada for a little bit. And now I'm, uh, I'm actually coaching here in Phoenix, Arizona, where me and my wife just bought a house and we've had, uh, you know, we've got some coaching clinics going on. We have some, some mentorship things that we're doing. So it's been a lot of fun. I think, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. When it comes to just the bouncing around, pursuing your pro football dreams, that's often challenging because you just never know. You never know uh, when your next paycheck's going to come. It's, it's volatile. Uh, but what did you learn from all that? Because that must have been an interesting time in your life to sort of learn the ins and outs of professional football in general. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't think I was going to play pro. My senior year didn't necessarily go as, you know, the way I planned. And so when it came to my senior year and, and playing in the, the all-star game, I, I wasn't sure. But after I took the spring off and went and trained really well and I tested really well when I got my shot at Chicago, um, you know, I was all in by that time. So after that, I, you know, I made the, the roster there and then, um, you know, was cut, had a couple stints in Dallas and, and Cincinnati, and I think one of the biggest things I learned going through all that is it's not about, um, you know, what happens to you. It's how you respond to it. So it gave me some grit in the fact that if I got cut, if I got cut, what was next? If I, you know, if something happened to me, okay, what, where do we go to from here? So not getting so much caught up in the moment or things not going my way, but choosing how to respond to whatever happened, whether it was good or bad. Was it ever tiresome just just moving around like that, or what did you think of that element? Because on, on one hand, it is sort of fun when you're young, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cool, and you learn to pack light. You know, you don't bring as much stuff with you after every team. And I used to tell myself, I got to be out of here in twelve hours or less. So that's kind of that was kind of my rule: packing and and moving to all different places, whether it was Texas or you know Cincinnati or anywhere in Canada. I just it was fun while it lasted, but, man, I, I'm glad I'm not living out of a suitcase anymore, that's for sure. Well, and it's a little hard to have any sort of a domesticated life, particularly a girlfriend or a wife. I always tell Mike Person that the MVP of his life was definitely his wife. The fact that she let him try to compete on practice squads and move around as much as she did, but then all of a sudden he makes it, and then he's a nine-year NFL vet, so it all works out in the end, but uh, definitely an underrated part of this whole thing. Uh, Zach, before we get into more about your professional career and, and, and the way that it all played out, let's go back to the very beginning uh, when you were back in high school there uh, in the Phoenix area. Just your perspective, when Montana State first got in touch, with you because a lot of the time uh, guys that go and play for the Bobcats they grow up dreaming of being Bobcats you know we've heard from both Mike Person and Brad Daly on this podcast series and both those guys had that strong ties to the MSU program since they were little kids uh, but for you when do you first remember learning about Montana State and what do you what do you remember about when they first landed on your radar so I remember I think Montana State was my first call um with coach Ash uh or Coach Marshall about, you know, potentially playing and, and being a guy for them. And I remember there was a game on, and I think it was – I forget who it was against. Versus, I don't know, some D1 school, but they were getting smoked by, like, 40 points. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, that, that'll be fun. Yeah, thanks for calling. And I was like, hmm. You know, like, I didn't really see it in my future. But one of the really good things that they did was recruit very well so they called me almost every week I mean coach Ash was at my house twice coach Beck was at my house twice coach Marshall was, you know they really were showing interest and for me 
this was the first time I had ever gone through something like that. So, um, you know, going from there to coming to even basketball practices and, and things like that. So, um, just as far as when they came into the picture, you know, close to signing day, NAU came, which was, you know, right up the road for me. And I was kind of hoping that they would have gave me an offer, but it was right there before signing day. And I remember hearing that, you know, what if you're not their guy? And what if, um, you know, you go there and you don't play? You, and that's kind of the thing that I tell my kids now that are getting recruited is, you know, you can never go wrong with going somewhere that really wants you to be there. And I really got that feeling from from MSU. And I took my recruiting visit and met all the guys and, you know, met Denarius, met Everett, met, you know, some of my roommates and met Gianni and, and, and all the people that I am friends with to this day. And I said, you know what, I think this is the school for me. And I ended up going there. I remember telling people I was going to play Montana. They're like, Montana. I got that every single time I told them where I was going to school. Montana. What's in Montana? Even now, you know, I tell them me and Brianne met in Montana and they were like, how did you end up there? I was like, man, just took a chance at playing football and it worked out really well. It is so funny, man. That's one of my favorite questions I ask recruits, especially guys from, you know, come from huge metropolitan areas. What did you think Montana was going to be like before you ever set foot in Montana? So I'll ask that same question to you. <laughs> before you ever came to Bozeman, what did you think it was going to be like when they first started recruiting you? Well, you know, I, I, I actually didn't know. I didn't really travel that much when I was younger, so I didn't really see many things, especially, um, you know, the Northwest. So. And they were like, hey, we want you to come up here for a visit. My visit was awesome. You know, it wasn't really until I was settled in when I found out how different it was from where I grew up and how much smaller it was. But um, it was bigger in a sense of the football culture. And I was still learning football at the time. So I really didn't understand what it was like to play in a town where they love football. They love the football players. They love the program. Um, they're there rain sunshine snow no matter what it was and so I didn't have any expectations or preconceived notions when I got there but when after I was there for a while I was man you want to talk about a a football town where the fans are awesome the people are great It, it was one of the best times of my life absolutely Well, let's talk about the element of what was going on at Montana State at that time. Right before your group of guys got there, uh, Montana State had broken through, and Mike Kramer had helped Montana State snap the streak against the Grizzlies, and he had led the Bobcats to the playoffs three times. But then a big controversy on campus that resulted in his dismissal. I know that was when you were uh, a young guy, so that nothing that influenced or or you remembered, but it seemed like that coaching staff, Rob Ash and Jamie Marshall and Bo Beck and those guys, they were really pushing the expansion of the stadium and just what what could be next for Montana State. Montana State's taking that next step to, to rise up a level. So what, uh, what do you remember about that element of it? How big of a selling point was that for you? Because I know it seemed like that was sort of the collective thought amongst that group of guys. Hey, let's bring the Bobcats all the way back to the top of the big sky. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they were talking about bowling in the end zone. And I remember when it was just the, the stands. And we really were focused on the winning portion of it but when we would go out to practice and we would see things start to get demolished and we saw some building going on it kind of gave us that that the sense that hey not only are we building physically on 
the campus, but we're building, you know, as a team as well. So it kind of coincided with our thought process of, hey, you know, we're starting from ground zero. We're going to make this thing, we're going to make this thing go. So, um, you know, we got pumped up with all of the fans that were going to be there. So I remember it when they first finished it and the, because I played my first year, I don't think it was done. I don't think it, I think it came my sophomore year. Um, just that different element with the the end zone and the student section and the gold rush. It just my our, my sophomore year from then on was like, okay, this is a new feeling. This is a new stadium. This is a new hope. And you know, I think we got the people to do it. It's funny because from a sports analyst perspective, people are always talking about all the different things that influence recruiting and stuff like that. But when you really look, particularly, I mean, Montana's a great example. The state of Montana's a great example. But I think it happens across the country. Facility upgrades almost always lead to good recruiting classes because coaches can sell that, whether it's about to happen, happening, or has happened. And I think you've seen the surges for the Grizz, the Bobcats, both of them, uh, throughout the history of the rivalry when it comes to upgrades and facilities. Because uh, I just think that that's, what, that's something that the recruits really look for. They, they look for a growing program and that sort of tangible evidence of a program that is growing, right? Absolutely. And, and when you think about the things you talk about on recruiting, I mean, I, I had a little bit of a coaching stint for Azusa Pacific, which is a D2 out in Southern California. One of my buddies was um, the offensive coordinator there. He got the um, head coaching job, and he gave me a call. And I was just coaching down here, and so I was out there um, for about nine months. And, uh, you know, I had a recruiting area and all that stuff. And the more that you can give the kids visually, I think, help with them picturing themselves there. You know, you can tell them all the things about, you know, them being your starter and this and that. But when you're, when you show them and talk about an uptrend, not only in the football program, but in the facilities, I think that that's just another thing for them to remember when it's time to make a decision. Well, you come to campus and uh, join a team that has not yet won a Big Sky Conference title, but was building toward that. Uh, but what do you remember about your early days at MSU? Because uh, pretty strong culture, especially among the defense, in terms of bringing guys along. You kind of burst in the lineup as a true freshman in 2009, uh, but you were playing along some guys that were pretty salty guys. You know, I love the irreverence that they brought to the, the table, guys like Dane Fletcher, Dan Ogden. So what do you remember about those guys and just sort of them helping you acclimate to college football and just your time at uh, your first year there at MSU? Man, they were awesome. You know, you could tell that they, you could tell that they wanted everybody on the team to be better. It wasn't necessarily old guys, new guys, old coach, new coach. It was more along the lines of big brothers and and things like that. But also, you know, I remember lifting and running and having to show up to six a.m.s and getting myself to places. If not, you know, there was consequences. So I remember really solidifying my stuff because I went there I was there for a, my summer the first summer for summer school and uh man just living in the on campus and getting to workouts and, and meeting kids that were you know in the same boat ones that I met on my recruiting trip some that I didn't it was just it was a next step in my life it kind of felt like when you get to freshman year of high school and it just seems so big and so worried and you're not going to get to your classes and what about all the people so the nerves of being in college 
were there, but the culture, especially Coach Beck, you know, creating the room that he did really allowed – he was the perfect coach for me and, and in all of the sense because not only was he a good coach and teaching technique and he had people like Dane and Dan and Dustin O'Connell and John Ledette, like all the older guys that were doing what he asked, but the room was just – when we needed to be serious – you know, it was, but when we could just relax and be ourselves and joke around and keep it light, you know, that was, that's me in a nutshell. And that was also my coach. So it, I remember it just being and blending so well with how I was feeling and who I was and what we were going to do from there. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. We're going to get into that defensive line culture because I think it is a memorable one and an impactful one. And uh, now that I'm a little bit older, I also think often about how when you're working in the media, you're covering sports, you talk to the coaches so much that sometimes secondarily, you're almost getting coached. And I was thinking about this the other day and I was telling Bo Beck this, just the influence that he had on me because he taught me so much about football and I always go sit in his office and we would uh, just bullshit about all sorts of different things. But we'll get into that in just a minute. I got to ask you one more thing about that 2009 year because that was the year, if I recall, was the year of the Swan flu and Montana State had all sorts of I shouldn't laugh because now that we're in this serious pandemic it's not a good situation but uh you guys had a whole bunch of guys out and uh, that resulted in you being the kickoff guy and all sorts of crazy stuff so what do you remember about that because uh, it was a sort of a weird circumstance weird time at Montana State yeah absolutely well I you know what's funny is the biggest thing that I can remember that came out of all that is that I beat Dan Ogden in a kickoff contest <laughs> kind of how we had to assess what we had, and I don't even remember. I don't. I don't even think I kicked in high school, but I always tried to mimic the movements of certain people. So there's a kid in high school that ran really fast, so I tried to run my cam, and I remember watching kickers and trying to do my best to make the kicker. Uh, trying to look like a kicker when I'm kicking off a tee, so. It ended up being me and, like, three other guys, but it came down to me and Dan Ogden. And, uh, you know, we ended up just kicking off. And uh, we didn't really know what was going to happen, but Coach was just from telling me, stay ready, stay ready, you never know. And then right before Eastern Washington, they came up to me and they were like, hey, you're kicking off. And I said, okay. And so he was like, hey, you go out with specialists, which was so weird because – I went from going out last with the big men to going out first with the specialists. And um, and I remember one kick. I had to kick to Taiwan Jones, I think his name was. Oh, yeah. He was a big-time returner and running back for Eastern Washington. And uh coach comes up to me. Hey, I'm getting it to the 10, I think. <laughs> it's not bad. I'm not kicking out of bounds, thank God. But uh, he goes, try to pooch it to go into halftime. And I go, Coach, what, what is a pooch kick? You know, like, how do I even do that? You do know I'm a defensive tackle, right? <laughs> and he goes, just, just try to get it up in the air and we'll get time off the clock. Man, I kicked it up in the air, put it at like the 25, just a horrible kick. 
and he stems inside and breaks the outside, and we had to chase him down to get out. I mean, he almost scored on it. I was like, that's the last time I do some specialty kick where I give up a touchdown. But, uh, yeah, that's an it, awesome story, particularly because Taiwan Jones is still in the NFL. The guy has had an unbelievable career. He's remade himself a million different ways from playing corner wow. and running back, special teams ace, all sorts of things, but definitely one of the most talented players to come out of the Big Sky Conference. Uh, but, Zach, then the next year, coming in 2010, uh, that was when I first came back to Montana, and you could feel just being around that team that it was going to be a special one. Some awesome senior leaders like Mike Ryder and uh, Jordan Craney and Mike Person, uh, mm. but also a lot of yeah. really good guys that have been recruited in those last couple recruiting classes like yourself and Tenarius McGee and some of those other guys that you named. Uh, so what do you remember about sort of uh, coming into when it was you guys were sort of taking the program over and sort of knowing that you guys could go from being a competitive Big Sky team to then a championship level Big Sky team? Um, You know, I think one of the biggest reasons that we did well is because especially on the O-line there was man, there was Mike Person, there was Jeff Hansen um, all types of guys that were leaders and did well in practice. So I could, I just remember telling myself, these are the guys you have to beat to even get a look at playing this year. And, uh, you know, with, with Dane Fletcher doing what he was doing, um, I think it really came down to the culture that we were creating as players. Um, not only just from the top down, but within our own locker room, how we practice, how we watch film, um, and even, like, younger guys that were starting to get some time. I remember Caleb Schreibice was kind of starting to find his way, and and um, Everett Gilbert was, was doing well on offense. So it, was, it felt kind of like the young guys were trying to keep up with the older guys because we knew that just because we were younger doesn't mean that the goals that we have for our team and the way that we played in games and our, our mentalities should to change. This wasn't a, a building year. This was our year to go get it. And I think that's kind of what we tried to instill, or at least they tried to instill in us while we were there. You yourself came in as a defensive end, but you played up and down the line that year, and that was sort of the beginning of you learning to play on the inside and sort of bouncing all around. So what do you remember that transition being like? Um. You know, my first transition to it, I remember, was in high school. I was playing defensive end, and then they moved me inside, and I thought it was this horrible thing, and I couldn't – I wasn't as good as everybody else. But when uh, my coach told me that, you know, your shortest line to the quarterback, and you can affect change pretty quickly, um, I no longer saw it as a – I'm only this position or I'm only that position. It kind of turned into how can I help my teammates uh, do well? And if that means playing inside or playing nose or, you know, I remember when Diablo got hurt that I, I stepped in and played that role. It was more along the lines of, okay, this is your job. Do it well. Make sure there's no step down um, as far as effort or plays made. And I, that's kind of what my mentality was throughout the whole football career. I wasn't really set on one position. I wasn't worried about playing this or that. It was just, how do I get on the field? How do I help my team? The, the thought of the shortest line to the quarterback is, is one that resonates so much now, too, because pass rush at all levels, but particularly the highest level in the NFL, has become of the utmost importance. But 
coming off the edge with all these mobile mobile quarterbacks, that's not the guys that are the most valuable defensive players now. It's the guys that can collapse the pocket from the inside now, right? I mean, Aaron Donald is the one that's sort of setting the pace. So uh, that's the evolution of football has sort of uh, continued into emphasizing exactly what your high school coaches were telling you. Absolutely. And, you know, watching Aaron Donald, I remember me and him were training at um, this place called Two Tenths it's in Pittsburgh. I, I was training out of Pittsburgh with um, Power Train under Steve Sanders, Steve Saunders and one of my buddies Gianni was going to Duquesne and we went to this workout and there he was and I was like wow this guy is like the same size as me you know he's nothing not that he's nothing but he's he's not way bigger than me you know he's not like the typical defensive tackle that you see but man did he work you know he he moved like a DB but was a strong was the strongest guy in the room and uh I remember just thinking to myself, hey, if, if if this guy is, you know, going in the rounds that he is and he's projected to do as well as they think he is, then there's no reason why I can't, um, you know, make a team. And so I remember just thinking to myself, I, I don't need to be the biggest, strongest guy, but I do need to be – there needs to be something about my game that hops off on the film that makes me valuable. And um, – I think you're going to see. And I mean, he's still getting double, triple teamed, and still getting defensive player of the defensive player of the year. And so, I think you might see a little bit of a, a change in what those guys look like because leverage is really the name of the game in football. No question. I've been talking about this for a long time uh, for, for across the board, but specifically on the lines for sure. It's catching up with the cats with Zach Minter here uh, on an extension of the Big Sky Breakdown, catching up with the Cats, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications. We appreciate Blackfoot for supporting and believing in all of our podcasting dreams. We've been doing a variety of podcasts all year and all fall as well. This is just one. You can also find the Nuanas Now podcast, an extension of my daily radio show on ESPN Radio and SWX Montana Television around the great state of Montana each day. You can also find our Big Sky Breakdown through Skyline Sports, giving you all the best in coverage of the Big Sky Conference. We also have our new podcast series, Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. And we couldn't do any of that without Black. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. But this one, a fun one, catching up with a lot of the guys, a lot of the good old boys that I covered back at Montana State over my 10 or 11 years uh, covering this beat. Uh, Zach, one more question about that 2010 season, then going into uh, 2011, which was probably individually your best season at Montana State. But 2010, you guys capped your Big Sky Conference Championship with a win in Missoula over Montana and at the same time denied Montana a playoff berth for the first time in 17 years. And oh, by the way, a quintessential Kakarot Saturday, perhaps the coldest game I've ever been to in my entire life. <laughs> what do you remember? about that afternoon in Missoula oh gosh man I can't even describe the feeling in my hands and toes because there were none probably because there were there was no feeling in my my fingertips or you know my 
my feet just felt like blocks. And um, But I do remember that we were locked into that game, you know, despite how cold it was and, you know, how crazy the uh, the Grizz fan base is and the stadium is, we, we were locked in. Um, so I remember looking up at my family and I couldn't even see them because they had their beanies on with their scarves and wrapped in blankets. And, you know, it was just, I, I, I would only be cold if I would look at the fans or if I looked at Dan Nelson and his whole beard was frozen. That's the only time I would get cold. But other than that, we were there to win. And I remember, you know, it went down to the, to the wire. And so, you know, walking off that field, you know, beating the Grizz for the first time, it was, you know, there was so much hype into it that went into that game, whether it was at school or um, just in the town or talking to my friends or, you know, going to the houses that we ate at before the games. It was just, you can tell there was so much weighing on it that when you got to the game, it was, man, you could feel the, the, the tension in the air. You feel the rivalry you know, through all of the chants and all the tears. So I just remember it just being an awesome environment despite the coldest game I've ever played in by far. No question. Um, being from Arizona, but so many of the guys that were in your room, like Fletcher and Daly and Ogden and all those guys, you know, they grew up around the rivalry, had been a part of them since they were kids. So do you remember when you first started learning about it and, and uh, when, when, it sort of, when you sort of realized how, how big time the games were? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, we had some sort of a rivalry in Peoria or in in Glendale here in Arizona, but it was nothing like like Bozeman because it was just such a quick disdain for the other team that I, I no longer even wanted to wear the color maroon. So I mean. And that's just because I got it from somebody else. I, I don't even like to wear that color. I, I can't even stand the blah, 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 blah. So um, learning more, I, I learned a lot through just Bozeman natives and, and, and kids from Montana where, you know, when they say that you're, you either grow up a Grizz fan or a Bobcat fan, there really is, that's really it. And from a young age, you know what side you're on. Um, and it was cool to see other people that are from Bozeman that are Missoula fans or, or vice versa, but um, just getting a sense of how long the rivalry went or how how old the rivalry is and just how many parents played in Grizz games and how many, um, how many Cat Grizz people have gone to consecutively. You can just tell it's definitely intertwined with just Montana in general, but the the culture as well. You guys win the Big Sky Championship in 2010. Coming into 2011 now, it's not this upstart team with this freshman quarterback and all these standout underclassmen. Instead, it's the defending Big Sky Conference champions with a veteran quarterback and a bunch of guys that have established themselves as great players throughout the Big Sky Conference. And uh, expectations are a crazy thing when it comes to college football, but you guys lived up to those and repeated as Big Sky champions in 2011. But what do you remember about just sort of the mentality change from that avenue? Did you guys feel the pressure of being the defending champions, or how did that add to maybe the way you prepared for and operated during the 2011 season? Well, I think it gave us confidence. I think it gave us a, a, a it, it gave us like an identity to some degree that we could either shy away from or buy into. 
Um, I remember how intense we were as far as communication, talking about what we were going to do in the off season and where we were going to be at and um, just those. And I, and I worked in Bozeman in the summertime, so I was there. And when we were, you know, we were going through and doing some of the lifting and going to work out or doing stuff on the field, you know, there were a lot of people doing stuff. Um, our offense was throwing all the time. Our, our defensive um, unit would go over plays, maybe watch some film here and there. So I think we took what happened in 2000, um, 2010 and kind of applied it have tried to remix it in a sense like hey that was cool but you know we can do better we can we can do this better we can we can find time to build a, a culture that's stronger as a team and so I think and we had some good leaders on a team too you know whether it was Daenerys on the offensive side of the ball or Caleb on the defensive side of the ball you know we just had people that worked hard but also were not satisfied with what we did. And so I think that kind of resonated throughout the whole team and gave us a good perspective leading into the season. The defensive line defined that too, right? Because you have yourself, who's uh, some people might say, quote unquote, undersized. I know you'd put on the size at that point, but being a, to be an interior guy, and you got guys like Daly and Schreibice who have been told for a couple of years that they couldn't do it. Tweeners, go to the frontier, you know, get out of here. And, you know, and then the workman like guys, I mean, Dan Ogden after games is like he almost died. He was so dramatic with the pain, but, but it was also just so fun to watch him play. Mm-hmm. But on down the line, it seemed like the defensive line and, and just sort of the me against the world ad attitude uh, was so prevalent but also was what partly at least made you guys so successful yeah and that's all coach Beck you know that that was him commanding the room um, setting precedent with the people before us when we watched film or were we were out there we knew that the game would go the way that we went so we played really well up front it was a good there was a good chance that our whole team did well if we struggled up front it was going to be hard for everybody behind us so i think creating that perception of hey these guys in this room are what drive this defense and if you don't believe that that there's the door and i think when we're having success and now we know what our strengths are because in the beginning we didn't really know we were just trying to make plays and do what we were told. But now we understand that we have presence here, that we have strength in our pass rush over here. And so um, when we knew that it came from the D line, we put that on our backs, took that chip on our shoulder and said, okay, you know, it's, it's us against the world. And depending on how we play is going to depend on how the season goes. And I think we, I think we believe that. And so I think when you look at the the production that we had or just even the Buckley Cannon winners on the on the defensive line, that is exactly our thought process going into every that 2011 season then, as it progressed, the hype kept building, the hype kept building, and then all of a sudden, Montana State, the number one team in the United States of America, first time the Bobcats had been number one since 1978, way back when Sonny Lubick was still the head coach after he took over for Sonny Holland. Uh, do you remember the moment when you guys found out you were number one in the country? Um, you know, to be honest, I, I, 
I don't remember the actual moment when I was sitting and I read in the newspaper or someone told me, but um, I think it was it, it was around like the the coach's office where I found out we were we were up there, and it just kind of put this feeling in the atmosphere like it was if not so much that we got to go get it, it's how do we keep it? You know, how, how do we continue to train like we are the worst team in the country voted on by, you know, the sports analysts? How do we keep our edge even when everyone's telling us we're, we were pretty good? Um, so that was more of the focus on at practice and on the team is, hey, cool, we're number one, but the second we get comfortable with, or, or we keep telling ourselves that and we don't practice as hard as we can and we don't prepare as much as we can, then, then we're going to have an issue. So I remember it being very short-lived so that we could stay on the path of just being aggressive and, and, and putting our best foot forward when it came to the little things like lifting and eating and practice and film. Like we had to stay on top of those things, even though, we were telling they were telling us we were the number one team in the country. Well, that season in 2011 also included the first playoff win in Montana State in quite some time and the first playoff win, period, for Rob Ash, who had been a head coach for a long, long time but had spent most of his career uh, coaching for teams that could not even make the playoffs. So uh, a little bit of a caveat there. But uh, when you guys beat New Hampshire uh, in, in thrilling fashion, too, on a blocked extra point, Stephen Bethley comes in and blocks the extra point. Uh, that moment in time was a big one for the program. Yeah, it was huge. It was huge, and I still give, I still give Bethley crap about it, because I could have swore I got my finger on the ball. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we uh, it, somehow it 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 landed in um, Bethley's favor, but I mean, just to watch him come off the edge, and and I mean, we replayed that so many times. You know, he really, you know, gave some gave some pressure, got a hand on the ball when he tipped it. Um, you could just see the whole crowd just – or you could kind of feel the whole crowd, um, you know, let out that, that joy that comes with winning that playoff game because it was huge. It was huge. I, I don't even think I ever won a playoff game in, ever. So it was like my first one that I won personally. So Then you guys go to Texas, um, to Huntsville, huge- play Sam Houston State. That Sam Houston team was like – it's like when you play the crazy beer option team in high school and you just have no idea where the hell the ball's even at. It was such a wild mm-hmm. offense with like wildcat elements and spread zone read and spread option and all this stuff. Uh, but a disappointing loss that afternoon, but maybe a table setter for the next year's run to a championship. So uh, that first time playing at Sam Houston, what do you remember about that one? Yeah, just exactly that. You know, it was hard to get a beat on them because not only were they running the, the option, but they were kind of, they were quick, and the quarterback could throw the ball. And I remember talking to uh, Flanders. I think I, I met up with him, and he goes Calgary, one of the one of the CFL teams. I was like, man, you guys, you guys were a tough team to beat. And he was like, man, we had so much speed back there; it was unfair. And so I think the the option uh, the the offense they were running was perfect for their personnel. And uh, you know, I just remember. It was. I just felt like I was looking left to right, left to right, trying to find where the ball was at because they they had a couple different things that you know we just 
we couldn't seem to keep them contained. They kept getting to the outside, and when we'd get the outside contained, and here comes something up the middle, and then once they'd lull us with the run, it goes to the top. Here comes a play action pass. So they just they had a lot going on, and kind of could go to wherever they wanted to in their playbook. So that was a tough. That was tough for us. Coming in twenty twelve, then uh, again more expectation, more pressure, more hype, all that. But then for you, a frustrating moment. I remember uh, watching fall camp that day that you pulled your hamstring, and uh, that definitely made your senior season into like you said something maybe you didn't expect. But uh, you did persevere, and you had a great year despite the injury. But at that exact moment, how frustrated were you? Um, you know, it it was frustrating because I, I felt like I put I felt like I put a lot of pressure on myself to have a good season. Um, and then not only was stuff happening on the field, but off the field, you know, my life started to get a little crazy. So, um, you know, it seemed like it was a growing period for me on all fronts. I had to learn how to be a better teammate and to coach the the guys that were um, playing in my spot. I had to coach them up. I had to, um, instead of worrying about myself so much, I had to worry about my team. How else can I help my team? You know, stay engaged, go to film, um, stay up on my rehab, but also stay up on my, you know, schoolwork and, and, you know, also being, you know, giving strength to my people at home. So um, for that to happen in the way that it did, it was just tough. And it really reminded me that, you know, football was, and I didn't learn this till a couple of years after when I got there, but now looking back on it, you know, football was just how I got to Montana. It wasn't necessarily why I was there. Um, and so my why was a little bit bigger than just, you know, getting to quarterbacks and, and being a good football player, but I had to learn that through, you know, the hamstring pull and, and all the other stuff. So it, it was frustrating, but I, I'm better for it looking back on it now. Well, 2012 culminates in a championship again, and uh, a historic one because it's very rare that teams ever three-peat in the Big Sky Conference. I think it was the first time Montana State had done it since the mid-'70s. I think the only other teams really uh, over the last 30 years that had done it were Montana uh, back during their great run in the mid-'90s and early 2000s. Um, so getting that third straight title, particularly capping it with another victory in Missoula, that must have been pretty sweet for you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and- now we're we've got we've got two with two rings with one on the way and we just obviously we're still thinking about playoffs and we're still thinking about winning the whole thing that was our our goal but um knowing that for the last 3 years we've played pretty good football to win championships i mean that's part of the reason why you play sport you know you want to win and you want to you want to create memories and you and the things that you do with your teammates are the things that you'll remember and so you know we were pumped we were very pumped up what was the key factors uh, to having that that run of success like you did we had a lot of talent on that team I, I think that the roster that the coaching staff built was pretty was pretty good I just remember all of the, and not only that, not only, you know, I was a true senior, so guys like Caleb Schreibice were there, um, you know, other guys that were, had redshirted, 
were really starting to come into their own as well. And um, I think it was the perfect midpoint to all of the work we had put in from, you know, starting from 2009. And, you know, I grew with Caleb and I grew with a lot of those red shirt freshmen to a point where, hey, <laughs> like this is our last, this is our last year. And uh, we got to do everything we can to have the best one we could, we, that we plan on. So um, I just think not only was the, the talent very, we were deep at a lot of positions, but we also got to grow together for those last three years leading up to that one. And a couple national awards, too, including when Travis won the Buck Buchanan in 2012. Also, Jody Owens was the Big Sky Conference defensive MVP that year, too. And, uh, you know, I think yes. anybody that analyzes line play will tell you that it's the unit that is winning the award, right? So, I mean, did you take a little bit of pride in, in when those guys were getting those awards? Oh, 100%. You know, and, you know, watching Jody fly around and, and Caleb, you know, I mean, he was he was making some crazy plays. And I think um, when you're not only when your team is nationally recognized, but when a player within your unit is recognized, you know, it'd be hard for him to do it if it was one versus five. So I think a lot of us took some pride when it came to, hey, he's on the watch list. We got to do everything we can to, to get him home. And when he won it, I just remember, you know, he was on my side too. So I just remember thinking, it can't go to a better player. It really couldn't. Like, it was a perfect depiction on all the work that Caleb did, who he was as a person, who he was as a leader, who he was as a, uh, a Montana native. And I just – I was so happy for him when he got it, you know, because it was, it was a testament to all his hard work and what we were doing as a unit. Well, then after – your Montana State time ends on the football field. Then you pursue professional, like we talked about a little bit earlier on. When you got that shot with the Bears, I remember writing a story for the Chronicle because I remember you had uh, some family ties there. Maybe your grandfather had, had loved the Bears or something like that. So remind me of that story, and uh, what was it like then going to a place that you had uh, a little bit of a personal connection to? Yeah, it, it was crazy. I, I just remember thinking – okay, so who, like, who, what's the possibility? Like, after my, after the draft, after my combine, like, where we think we're going? And my agent was like, well, I think the Bears are really interested. I think, I think that's a good call for us. I was like, wow, like, my mom is one of eight, and my grandma still lives in Chicago. And I would say my mom's side, probably 65, 70, no, probably more than that, 35, 80%, still live there. Um, And so, it, it just felt because that, that same senior year, I, my grandpa passed that same year. And so I remember thinking, man, this has to be like my grandpa looking out for me, thinking, hey, come play for the Bears where you can hang out with your grandma, you can hang out with your cousins and your uncles and your aunts. You know, come hang out here for more than just five days total. And so um, just getting that call, going to Chicago, meeting up with my cousins and, you know, just thinking like, I can't believe I'm playing pro ball. And then my cousin's like, I can't believe you're playing for the bears. You know, like they were just like, we have loved the bears for so long. And now our family member plays for them. I mean, I, I couldn't get enough tickets. Um, so it, it was just cool. Cause I had family there. 
it was a, a st- oh my gosh, the people on the team were, you know, I was in the same room with Julius Peppers, Henry Milton, Stephen Paya, um, you know, Peanut Tillman, just so many people, Matt Forte, Brandon Marshall, Kyle Long, just like so many people. Uh, I It was a whirlwind, to be honest. Is that crazy when it's like these guys are dudes that have yeah, been on your fantasy football team or that you played Madden? You've like been them in Madden. I mean, that must be wild. Right. Yeah. And I mean, when you go from looking at your helmet to a high school to college, you're like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, it's a new college get up. But when you go to college and the pros and you look at that helmet that you watch on Sunday night, Monday night football, it's different. You know, it almost never really sinks in unless maybe you're just a a 10, 12-year guy that's just like, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. Every time I looked at that helmet and saw my name up there above my locker, I was just like, not, I wasn't thinking about I made it. I was thinking more along the sense of like, man, how do I stay here? <laughs> you know, like, this is, I, I could lose my job at any moment. I could get cut at any time, you know, so really think, you know, stop, smell the roses, be grateful for every time you get up to go out there and practice because this is what dreams are made of, you know? So um, I always thought I was going to play pro sports. I always thought I was going to be a pro basketball player. I never knew that I was going to end up playing pro football. Sports Bet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sports Bet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sports Bet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sports Bet Montana location or by using the Sports Bet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sports Bet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sports Bet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sports Bet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. The basketball element's fascinating, too, because I remember uh, when you first landed at Montana State, remembering that you had been an, an outstanding point guard and that you could still dunk a basketball and all that. So when you look back all the way full circle, do you feel like some of your multi-sport background helped you uh, when you got to the highest level of football? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I encourage that from my athletes often. I tell them all the time, football should not be the only sport that you do. And I got a couple of kids that do wrestling. I got a couple of kids that do basketball. I got a couple of kids that swim. I got a couple of kids that play soccer. And those fundamentals that you learn playing different sports, if you work at them enough, they become muscle memory. And then you can use them at another sport or football, for example. And so I remember the this little hesitation shake that I did it was only because I would be able to do like a crossover or whatever. And I had to get around guys and I would just use that on a lineman. Um, and it seemed to work, especially in, in college. Cause it just, I was still learning what, how to even play the game. So when I got to the pros, it was, um, it wasn't necessarily giving me an edge in a sense because playing in the professional football league, you know, it, 
everybody was strong, everybody was fast, everybody's quick, everybody's big. And so now it comes down to your preparation and what you see on film and what you're going to do to execute when you see the, those keys. And so um, it definitely helped me throughout my whole career, but it helped me more from like a high school to college than the college to pros. For sure, yeah, it totally makes sense. Zach Minter catching up with the Cats, joining us here on Nuanas now. And, and Zach, a couple more stops during professional football with the Bengals, with the Cowboys, and then a couple years in Canada as well. Any other memories that stand out to you or any other things that you learned during your, uh, I guess, cross-continent journey throughout football? Um, Yeah, I learned that Travis Lule is a cool dude. No question. I, I had heard about him, and uh, yeah, I heard about him, and and just you know here and there. But when I got some time to spend with him in, in BC, I thought you know he's a he's an awesome guy, great mentor, good person for the Cats and for any team really who was who would have him. So I thought that was awesome. I learned what poutine was in Canada. Canadians are actually really nice. It's not just a stereotype; they really are kind people. Uh, I met some really, really cool players and families and fans out up there. So um, Vancouver, I loved. I hope to go back there soon. Um, you know, just really being able to travel to all, you know, to BC, to Calgary, to, to even Saskatchewan, you know, all those um, provinces. It was really, really fun. You know, I, I enjoyed a lot of the, the traveling and the, and the games and the playing too. It's a little bit of a different game too. I, you know, having three downs instead of four, wider field, yard off the ball. You know, I, I learned that. You know, at the end of the day, football's football, but sometimes you gotta. You know, sometimes there's there's some rules that are a little bit different. When you think back at your time in Bozeman and Montana State, I thought you made an, an inter- interesting point. Said something interesting that I want to uh, revisit. You said that. Football was the how of how you got to Bozeman, but it took a long time for you to figure out your why. So now that here you are now, uh, a little bit older, a little bit more perspective, what was your why in Bozeman, and how did your experience with Montana State influence now the path that you've led the rest of your life? Well, you know, I think God brought me there to meet my wife, first and foremost. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have met her if I went to Montana. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons I was there. Another is to meet, you know, my friends that I'm still friends with today. Um, but one of the reasons I'm extremely grateful for playing in Bozeman is it gave me a chance to grow, you know, from a boy to a, to a man in a sense where I had to figure out how I was going to get from A to B, how I was going to get grades and play, how I was going to um, be a better football player. And and going through the things I went through and meeting the families that I met, you know, I, I learned that I, how I could easily make someone's day better or be a mentor to people or have influence, even when it comes to meeting like Lil Zach or the Deans or, going out and doing some, some public stuff or going out in the community with Coach Beck and doing that kind of stuff. Like we, we have influence as Bozeman football players. It's different if you go to like a school in Texas and you play for like a, a smaller school, you know. They're, they're more interested in D1s and the FCS, FBSs and, and stuff like that. But 
you know, there it allowed me to really see the impact we could have on someone's life or someone's day or, or, or someone's family. And so that allowed me to not only that, but the teachers, you know, I didn't know what I was going to study. And so when I found, when I solidified myself in human health and development and family studies or family sciences, it tapped into who I was internally without football. And so now that's what I'm doing now. I'm I'm helping humans develop. And then I take parts of football or parts of competition and I apply it to life and family things. Like how do you be, not only can you be a better football player, how do you become a better son? How do you become a better friend? How do you become a better um, classmate? You know, what, what do you, what have you, taken away from all the training that you did to get better at your ladder, to get better footwork, how can you apply that to other things in your life that you struggle with? And so um, just finding that community, finding those group of teachers that really believed in me and finding out um, what my true passion was when it came to what I wanted to study, it just really prepared me for what I'm doing now. And it's exactly, I'm using my degree, you know, not necessarily in the sense of getting hired because I, I work for myself, but the things that I list, the things that I learned in class, and the things that I talk to all my teachers about are something are things that I'm using still to this day. So I'm extremely grateful for that. I'm extremely grateful for Montana State and the fans and the people and the teachers. That man, I, I'd go and do it all over again if I could. Absolutely, man. That's why we love what we do around here as well because. It is important. College football does set the stage for people's lives. It is an awesome experience, and I think that it can change your life in so many different ways. Catching up with the Cats this week was Zach Minter. Zach, always one of my favorite guys to talk to. Distinct pleasure having you here on the podcast. Thanks so much for doing it, man, and we really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to who you have on next. Who are you thinking? Man, I don't know. Who should I go with? Oh, man, who would I like to hear from? Gosh, if we can get Daenerys on here, that'd be great. So Daenerys is coming. I've been hitting him up. He's about to have a baby. It actually might have happened. He said, dude, I can't do an hour podcast because my phone might ring and my girl might be giving birth. So he said, as soon as the baby comes, we can get something down. So I'm definitely going to get Daenerys on there for sure. Obviously, Cody Kirk's going to be on here at some point as well. Uh, I was thinking maybe Tarion, though, because Tarion's always a pretty good laugh. Yeah, he is. He absolutely, any one of those would be great. I'm looking forward to the next one for sure. Elvis Akpa, he's always a fascinating guy too. I mean, there's a lot, man. You guys, you guys had a good group. Yeah, we really did. We really did. Well, thanks so much, man. We appreciate the time. Yep, thanks.